Hello and welcome to We All Succeed, a deep dive into the trenches of what is making businesses successful. We're talking about pivoting for survival, COVID-19 business techniques. Now, by the time this actually airs, you'll probably also be able to see this on accessprincipal.capital, which is the website. And for those of you who don't know, I'm Ryan Drew Donaldson, and I am actually the chief executive officer of Access Principal. I have been for about two years now. So what makes this really, really powerful is there are business techniques that you could be doing every day or at least once a week to make sure that a business can survive COVID-19 and everything that's going on right now. How are your profit and loss statements looking right now in your business, your P&Ls? Are you still in a situation where you're spending $1 for $2, which is a pretty strong win condition for business? Are you spending less for more? Are your costs below 60% of your gross income? which especially if you're a restaurant, you're probably not hitting right now. Is your runway long enough to survive for a year? As in, do you have enough capital in the bank or is everything done in such a way where you can survive taking the action you're taking right now the way that you're taking them in the current market? We do not know how long these will last. So here are three major techniques that you could be using every day to pivot your business and or to make sure your business is aligned with the current market here on We All Succeed. So the three major techniques, okay? We're doing it a little different. If, if you haven't noticed, I'm not interviewing somebody. The purpose of this is to literally save businesses' lives. And these are what I've been consulting every business I've consulted since March on doing. These are all tactics that we use regularly anyway, but these are specifically important tactics that you should be using, right? The first one that we care about is the straw analysis to do once a week, ideally on a Monday afternoon, after all the fires from the weekend have been put out, the straw analysis. That stands for stress test risk assessment. Straw, S-T-R-A-A, stress test risk assessment analysis. It's designed for business owners to look at the outcomes and all the active risks in a way that lets them discover the action items to take before it's too late to take them. We want to make sure that everybody is pointed in the right, the right direction because if you put your business essentially pointing against a wall and hit the accelerator, aka get capital infusions, you're going to hit that wall much harder and that's going to be even more damaging to the business than let's say if you weren't you know, infusing capital. You can only afford to make so many mistakes in business. So what I'd actually like you to do is I'd like you to pause this recording and grab paper and pencils if you don't have it. You're going to be using papers and pencils for this entire podcast episode, okay? This is, you're going to walk away with actions that will save your business right now. That is my commitment to you. I am committed to saving your business even if I do not know you because you're a listener on We All Succeed. So the first thing I want you to do is I want you to draw a quadrant chart. And again, if you need pictures for this, go to accessprincipal.capital, go to our blog. This will likely be a pinned blog directly available for everybody, accessprincipal.capital. But go ahead on your piece of paper, draw a quadrant chart. That's one line vertically down the center of the paper, one line horizontally, okay? On the left side, on the what is the x-axis, you're going to write likely. On the right side, what is also on the x-axis, you're going to write unlikely. On the y-axis, that's the up and down one, you're going to write devastating at the top, annoying at the bottom. And I want you to number the x-axis 1 to 10 right to left, not left to right, right to left. And uh, the y-axis 1 to 10 bottom to top. So the only one that's mirrored is the x-axis. So Unlikely will have one, likely will have 10, devastating will have 10, annoying will have one. Okay, so you should have a quadrant chart that says likely, unlikely, devastating, and annoying. Okay, now we want to look at important assumptions that you have. We want to look at them from the negative position. You can be positive about it, but we want to look at where the risk is. So let's say I can't pay my employee on time, right? Or let's say something along the lines of uh, all of my employees are not willing to stick with me. Or let's say I don't have a long enough runway. Okay, Any of those assumptions, uh, people won't buy my product. Right? These are all important assumptions from the negative position. If you take it from the negative position, you will not get confused. Let's take a look at 
I can't pay my employee on time. I cannot pay my employee on time. Well, let's take a look at that. Depending on where you are, it might be unlikely, right? It might be a three and unlikely. And it might be maybe a four and annoying. You might say, well, they're not going to leave me immediately, but if I can't pay them soon, that would be absolutely devastating. But right now, it would be highly annoying, maybe a four. So what that would actually put it in is quadrant four. You would put a dot in essentially three and four respectively, which would put you in an unlikely annoying situation. And then it's important to understand that the more stress and the more things that go on inside the business, the more likely it becomes to happen and the more devastating it becomes. So let's say you have something like, I don't have enough runway. Yeah, I just don't have enough capital in the company bank account. I'm having to pay all my employees. None of them are working. Um, it's a devastating situation. So it's like a, it's like a 10 because the company can't survive. So it's like a devastating. And, uh, and maybe it's like an 8 and likely to happen, right? So then you have something in quadrant 1, something that's devastating and likely. I'm, I'm going to run out of money essentially before uh, all this COVID nonsense stops and I can get enough infusion of capital to survive, right? So that's the difference between an unlikely and annoying thing and a devastating and likely thing. And again, if you get confused, feel free to rewind and re-listen to that little excerpt. I'm trying to go through this quickly because there's a lot of content to cover. And feel free again to jump right over to our blog and just see the pictures, get the writing, and, and make it really easy for yourself. So you've got a quadrant chart and you've got assumptions. And you want to look at those assumptions in such a way in which you can very accurately and immediately, without any considerations, understand exactly how likely and devastating it is. Because everything that's unlikely and devastating needs to get handled first. As attractive as it is to make sure that the annoying and unlikely things are getting resolved first. Everything that's likely and devastating genuinely needs to be resolved first because they're a problem now. They're going to be a problem in the future and the impact is far more reaching than something annoying and unlikely. You have time to pivot on unlikely and annoying things. We care about quadrant one, then two, then three, then four. It's why we've built this quadrant chart this way. Again, we care about one, two, three, then four. We care about everything that's likely and devastating, then unlikely and devastating because the impact is much more important. Then we care about things that are likely and annoying because those are stressors that will be persistent and will cause things that aren't devastating to become devastating. And then we care about things that are unlikely and annoying last. We can put plans around all of them immediately, but that's just the order in which we care about resolving all of those active situations. So you might have stuff like a customer want to purchase my product or don't want to purchase my product. And how likely, how unlikely is that, right? Um, a customer buys from me because they like me, right? You can actually look at assumptions that are not... Um, that are not necessarily negative as long as you don't get confused. You can look at assumptions that are based on the release of a product. You can look at things however will best support you. But it's important that you have the method of likely, unlikely, annoying, and devastating. That way it becomes very, very, very easy to examine it. Such as if you're looking at the ability to access money and you're likely for that to be an issue and it's likely to be devastating if you can't, there you go. And so the easy way to also think about this is if you don't, if you don't like saying assumptions as if they're negative, right? Like um, you're, you don't want to write one of my customers or one of my partners is going to betray me, right? Or you'd, you would prefer to write a customer wants to purchase my product rather than doesn't want to purchase my product because there's some very emotional or spiritual reason for that. That's okay, right? Just understand that when you're looking at the assumptions, you resolve those assumptions as if it's a bad situation. For example, in the, and we've, we've put these in the pictures, right? Customer wants to purchase my product. Is that unlikely to be an issue or is that likely to be an issue? It's unlikely to be an issue if you've done a lot of your homework and you've built it off of their customer. However, if they don't want to purchase your product, is that annoying or devastating? Well, depending on how much money you're about to throw in marketing, if, if you don't have a lot of cash flow, it's devastating. If you have an entire amount of money diverted so that you can educate an entire market on why they should be purchasing your product, maybe not so devastating, it would be just annoying, right? One of my partners is going to betray me. Is that likely or unlikely to happen? Well, depending on your circumstances, I don't know. Are they an investor that's already overheated and doesn't want to be part of your industry anymore? Well, it's a lot more likely suddenly, right? 
is that annoying? Is that going to cause huge problems or is it just, is it, is it devastating? Is it just annoying, right? That's for you to determine. And I want you to feel comfortable figuring it out on where you are. After you've done that, you have an excellent opportunity to go in and make a quick three column chart. What can you do to solve it? What happens if you don't solve it? What happens if you only solve it? Just a little bit, right? If you look at what you can do to solve it first, like what actions you can take that will resolve it, and then you look at the impact of what happens if you don't solve it or ignore it, and then if you look at what if you only make a little bit of effort, then it becomes pretty clear whether or not it's reasonable to resolve that issue, okay? So again, that's what can you do to solve it? What happens if you do not solve it? What happens if you only solve it a little bit? For example, one of my partners is going to betray me, right? Which for me would only be annoying and if they don't like my industry is likely to happen, right? So if it's likely for them to betray, betray is a big inflammatory word, but you guys I'm sure can understand what I mean. I don't mean like they're going to necessarily screw me over, but they might take actions that uh, remove the credibility from the company or do any number of things, right? Well, what can I do to solve that? Well, I could certainly put code of conduct in place, a memorandum of understanding, right? I could put something in place. I could exit them out, right? That's something I could do. I could take the opportunity to speak with them and understand if they have any concerns or where their concerns are at and put a timeline to resolving their concerns, right? What happens if I don't solve it, right? What happens if I don't solve it? Well, uh, whatever they're experiencing continues to scale and completely based on an environment determines whether or not they become toxic to my company, right? Or uh, whether or not uh, they suddenly will jump in and be amazing, right? I just, I have no power over that. What happens if I only solve a little bit? Maybe, maybe what happens if I look at the situation, I have the conversation, but I don't implement? Well, I've bought some time, Right? So if what I'm really looking for is time on the clock so that I can exit them out, then maybe I only solve it a little bit, right? Or if I solve it only a little bit, if it doesn't have any meaningful difference or change, and that causes a massive breakdown in communication, then obviously I need to do something more important and impactful to solve it, right? Once you've got those actions, once you know what your biggest assumptions are, and you can, again, this is, it's, something that you can just do on a Monday afternoon. Once you've got your action items, the things that you want to do and complete right now, then you can go ahead and move on to the second technique that we're gonna talk about here, which is SMART goals and the prismatic system. A lot more people are familiar with SMART goals than they are the prismatic system, but we're gonna take the opportunity to go into both right after the break. Welcome back to We All Succeed. I'm Ryan Drew Donaldson. And depending on what you were listening to this via, what of the probably 11 or so places that this gets shared to determines exactly whether or not you even have like a sponsored segment or something like that, whether you're on Spotify or whether you're on uh, Anchor or whether you're on iTunes. So we're actually going to dial in to the actual actions. Where we left you off, we had just finished talking about the straw analysis, the stress test risk assessment analysis. Now, once you've got all of your uh, risk assessments determined, then you want to put some pretty smart goals around it. Now, smart goals are an industry standard thing, uh, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, time-based goals. Rather than saying sell more product, you'll see objectives like sell my $999 USD book to 32,000 people within a six-month period of time, right? It's a very specific action item. In fact, SMART stands for specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-based. Specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-based. Now, SMART goals we did not create. The prismatic system we actually did. And the prismatic system does what the SMART goals do on a much larger team-oriented scale. So the SMART goals, again, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, time-based, turn sell more product into sell my 999 book to 32,000 people within six months. Very different as a focus goal. I'm a really big Earl Nightingale person, and he always had and shared this mentality of before you can build a pie, 
you have to first determine I'm going to build a pie, right? Otherwise you just would be kind of stumbling around in the dark without any understanding or idea of what it is exactly that you're doing. But by having the decision, I'm going to build a pumpkin pie, then you know, okay, I'm making a pie and that pie is a pumpkin pie. Therefore, I can look up anything that I needed to make that pie. It's also similar to, uh, I want to go take a trip to Vegas, right? If I said, hey, I want to go take a trip to Vegas, I had to first decide I want to take a trip to Vegas and then I can figure out how to get there. Otherwise, I'm going, well, I kind of want to take a vacation and mm, let me just look around to see what vacations out there, you know, what are, where are people are, uh, you know, vacationing. I don't really have a lot of choice in the matter over how that entire decision is going to come into fruition. By using smart goals and by using the prismatic system, we dial into a specific action that we need to, to, to hit. And then that objective, we're able to build towards creating that. For example, sell more product. It's very loose. I can think of a dozen ways to sell more product. But to sell a $9.99 book to 32,000 people in a six-month period of time, you can go, okay, well, any of the answers that hits those goals are a win condition. Let's do all of those things, Right. But it's very specific. They're different initiatives and different people can take charge of those initiatives. And we can check to see where we are along that, that timeline. So it's very powerful to use SMART goals. The prismatic system, which is a little bit more to it, stands for people, resources, identity, measurable, action steps, time frame, information, and then criteria for success. And we're going to go through all those. So you don't have to remember that. But there's a, it's literally an acronym, just like SMART is, for prismatic and the goal here is to understand who's taking what action in a team-based setting. This is really good for agile teams, for anybody who are groups of people who you're not even sure who's going to be in charge of the project, who's taking responsibility for the project, how are you going to gauge its success, what timeline should you expect. And it's the way in which you take something such as, I want to make more money, right, to project manager Cassandra will lead the initiative, to sell 32,000 books at 9.99 relying on Fiverr articles to create additional content and Barnes and Nobles to fulfill production. The next 6 months are broken down into 3 3-month long phases. The first phase being prospecting and list building, which we will focus on the building the list in excess of 5,000 or 50,000 subscribers with bi-weekly content. Phase 2 we begin pre-sales of the product. Uh, to release in phase three while continuing to build a list upwards of 100,000 subscribers. Phase three will release the product and sell 32,000 or more books. The information we'll utilize is that popular Russell Brunson product to create finals and then information uh, inside of our book itself. We'll measure our results by their profitability, their accuracy of the information, the testimonials we collect, and the overall happiness of the company, right? So what you get from the prismatic system is a paragraph of results, not a very quick uh, sentence. And there's something really powerful to using both the smart and the prismatic system because you can really dial into what you want with the smart. With the prismatic system, you create the pathway, the blueprint to getting there, right? So the prismatic system, the first thing it dials into is people who is going to be responsible for the resolution of the task. Who might they call upon if stuck? And if you actually want to take a single task and do this right now, you can actually go ahead and on your piece of paper, look at one of the things that you uh, risk stress tested earlier and say, okay, well, here is uh, something that we need to make sure is going, going to be successful. Who's going to be in charge of hiring or whatever it is, right? Who's responsible for the resolution of this task? And who are those people going to call upon if they're stuck? Are you, who, who's their buddy or buddies? right? Is it a manager who's in charge of the task or is it one of their people? Who are they calling upon if they're stuck? Is it a manager? Is it, you know, a C-level executive? Who is it? Once you've got the people down that are actually going to take part in this project and who they can call upon when they don't know what to do, then you move on to the next step. But by having people defined in advance, there should be nothing in the way to completing the project because you know exactly if they're stuck, if anything's in the way of them completing the project, they already have defined who they go to already per project. Once you've got the people down, then you move on to the F, or R, resources. What company resources are used for this initiative? Is there a budget allocated? Are there technologies? Are there tools that will be used to resolve this task, including task management systems? 
whether you're using Trello or Monday or whatever it is that you're using, right? Is there a CRM? Is it is it a customer relationship management uh, tool? Is there some sort of other technology, or uh, you know, in the budget, is there ten thousand dollars aligned to this? Is there not? You know, what what is those resources? Because anything that you haven't defined in resources, you can actually put together, okay, well, we still need to know this information. Okay, we don't have the full prismatic system until we know what the resources are. And it helps you double check your work to being successful. Now in the COVID world, this is more important than ever because people are kind of creating half-baked ideas to complete initiatives, whether it's you know protection equipment or it's uh, the way in which they broker their deals or it's the way in which they're running their business. People aren't aligning themselves with the proper amount of resources to complete the tasks that allow them to have the runway, right? They're not able to survive long enough to complete their tasks because they didn't define exactly how much they even needed to start with. Once you've defined your resources, you've already got your people defined, you've moved past resources. Next, we move into an emotional intelligence one. It's identity. This is something that is completely ignored by the smart system. It could be kept in, but you really are doing extra work to put it into the smart system. With the prismatic system, identity is the mental and emotional role that people involved will take. What hats are people wearing is a great way to think about this. I'm wearing my manager hat during this, or I am going to have the lens in which I'm speaking to my grandmother who has always been kind to me, and I want to make sure that I'm educating her in that kind of lens. By you defining who you are being, Right, the type of person you are being, the hat you're rolling as a wearing as a, a team member, the mask you wear, whatever verbiage you want to use for it, you are defining who you are above and beyond just simply the role amongst the group. You don't have to go through a highly emotional conversation that most people don't actually have. They just step into depending on the role. Well, I'm project manager here, right? Or I'm going to be. Uh, I'm really belligerent. I really hate doing this task. So I'm going to wear the hat of somebody who's really belligerent doing this task, right? Or I'm going to be very conservative here. Or it's my job to be conservative here, right? Whatever that, whatever that identity is, by defining it, you actually remove the emotional guesswork that often gets in the way of completing the task. And when you're able to define things like I'm going to be ad- industrious and studious, in regards to this task, then you know that you've had a breakdown if you're not being those things that you can go back and speak to the people. But typically, by defining your identity, such as a hardworking uh, employee or a very wise and all-knowing uh, manager, whatever that identity is, you can move a lot out of the way. And it's a very strong step in the direction of emotional intelligence when it comes to business. Once you've defined your people, your resources, and your identity, you can move on to the measurable goals because you actually know who you're working with. It's very difficult to define measurable goals based on the capabilities of the people when you don't know the full scope of the people. Once you've got that, you're engaging in the same space as SMART goals, right? What are the numbers you can use to gauge the success of the actions, dates and times, specific results, financial goals, whatever those are, right? From there, you get to move on to the action steps. What are the immediate, short-term, and future actions that need to be completed in order to complete the project or task, right? We're not in the time frames, really. We just want to know what all has to happen for this to be labeled as we are complete, right? From there, you move into time frame. Now that you've got the action steps, you've got the measurable results, usually you want to then immediately take it and break it down into phases, maybe three phases, a beginning, a middle, and an end. What are your limitations to those goals? What kind of time constraints do you have? From there, you can take and create information that you need to utilize to make your decisions, which we hadn't got into and SMART doesn't touch, right? With the prismatic system, we actually want to go, okay, what are you referencing? What are you basing your decision-making processes off of? Do we have a library of information because you're a programmer? Are you going to be using Google? Are you going to be using some special system or method that you like to use? Do you have blog uh, articles and research paper that everybody in the group can agree upon are the way that they do business? It's a very important step that ends in the C, criteria for success. How do you judge the, how do you judge the success of the initiative? List out everything, right? Anything that needs to come as a result and then realize If I do that at a high level, I have won this task. It's a win condition for completing the task. 
if your if your win conditions are satisfying and you say there's nothing else if, as long as I do all those at a high level that's complete then you're good to proceed for example on the example with the project manager Cassandra's third 2000 books at 999 by looking at it by them gauging it off of profitability accuracy of the information the testimonials they collect and the overall happiness of the company and all those are at a high level that's enough for her it's a huge win, right? And then she walks away, and as long as she has all of those done at a high level, she can say, we've completed this task with integrity to what our visions are and what we are focused on. If you just like SMART goals, that is perfectly acceptable. Use SMART goals. If what your hope is, is that in the completion of these projects, you're able to actually have multi-month, multi-person, uh, multi issue projects, then you're able to clearly define them both figuratively in spirit and in actual action and practice. And I don't think that you use one or the other exclusively. I'm not a firm believer that you only use SMART goals or you only use prismatic system. If it's a small project that you need to do quick action items such as a, a Monday, do the SMART system. If it's a lot of people that you're trying to militarize to, to, to take a specific action, there's much more management required, so much more management required. Move over to this prismatic system, get everybody sorted, make sure that you know who is in charge of what by when, right? And then you're able to move forward in a COVID-19 world. Again, I've went through this pretty fast, so feel free to either slow it down or to join us on accessprinciple.capital and go to our blog. And this is the same blog article as earlier about the straw analysis. We're gonna take one more break and then we're going to dive into, once you've done that, how do you know, capital K, know that what you're doing is the right action for your business that's going to make the money that you need to survive? And we're gonna do that with a now, a now or later chart that lets you evaluate every major money-making decision. Where you're at now, you should have a straw analysis that you can do once a week or the knowledge of how to do one. And you should have a method in which to implement on everything inside the straw analysis up to and including what you can do to solve it, what happens if you ignore it, the impact of engaging with that decision, whether you do it or not. And what if you do it just a little bit? Regardless, you'll have all of the answers that you were looking for. And we'll talk about after the break, we'll dive into how do you know after having made some choices about how you're going to interact with the future, how do you know that you're doing the right thing? See you after the break. All right, we're back to the third part of this We All Succeed discussion on what pivoting techniques you should be utilizing for business during a COVID and post-COVID-19 world. How do you survive? Now, you should have, in the first section, done some straw analysis, some stress test risk assessment analysis to understand exactly uh, what the impact of the decisions that you're actively engaging in and where your risks are, right? That's the first and most important thing to have done. You should have already completed that having got this far in the video, or if you're just going through this to review it, that's fine. Uh, feel free to to go through all the way through and then start back from the beginning, but definitely start with the straw analysis. The next thing you should have done is created some actionable, measurable goals on a timetable, whether it was with the SMART or with the prismatic system. Either of those are perfectly great. Again, depending on what kind of business you are and what it is that you're doing, will determine which one's the most effective. If it's just a, you know, a solopreneur, uh, engaging in business, you'll probably just use the smart system. If you're managing entire business teams, then Prismatic probably is a little bit more helpful for you. So once you've gone ahead and moved forward with completing all the way down to section three, we're now at now or later charts. Our goal here is to be able to, before we have done anything, before we've implemented on anything, for us to know exactly what the impact of our actions are going to be financially, 
and more than financially. Financially is very important right now with a COVID world going on because of the pandemic. People's uh, runways are being shortened drastically. When the runways are being shortened, when I say runway, I mean like a plane can only take off if it has enough runway to, to, to take flight. Well, that's directly an important principle of business because if you don't have the runway, you can't survive long enough to make mistakes. And right now, we need to be very, very, very present and responsible with the actions that we're taking because most businesses cannot afford financially to take mistakes. Now, if you're one of the the larger scaled businesses, you might have a little bit more cash uh, right now available. This is specifically for both small businesses and these are techniques at scale. So the now and later chart is very simple. You wanna make another quadrant graph, right? Quadrant graph, straight uh, down the middle, horizontal and vertical, right? On the left side, you're gonna write unlikely, on the right, likely. On the top, high, on the bottom, low. So the, on the x-axis on the left, you have unlikely. On the x-axis on the right, you have likely. On the y-axis, uh, top is high, y-axis on the bottom is low. Again, you can go to accessprinciple.capital and actually take an opportunity to look at these charts. When you dial into this, I want you to also understand that there are three factors that I believe, and, and certainly an access principle, we believe are exchangeable resources when it comes to business, which is wealth, which is currency, access to capital, assets, etc. Network, which is access to people, uh, even if it's not necessarily people who are paying you actual like customers. It's not necessarily customers, but it includes customers. It's just your pure access to people. And then influence is the third thing we measured, which is leverage in relationships, often and typically with your buyer communities, but not exclusively with your buyer communities. So if we're looking at a, a action that you're taking in buyer communities, we're going to measure both how much wealth it's going to generate. Two, we're going to measure uh, how much more access, how many more people end up in your funnel, how many more people are aware of your existence, how much deeper is your vertical, how wide are you casting your net. And then the influence is your, your leverage, uh, which is your ability to actually influence their decision-making process, whether it's to buy from you or to make the world a better place. So each program or opportunity, every decision gets its own now or later chart because we want to measure three different things. I like to do it with three different colors. Network for me is red, wealth is green, influence is blue, okay? The first thing that we're going to do is we're going to ask ourselves, how likely is it, let's say, for you to be paid out from an opportunity in the next 30 days? And will that be worth a low or a high amount? And we just ballpark this. We're not looking for super, super finite numbers because we should have already gotten those what we're attempting to do, right? Right now, we really just want to understand how likely is it for us to be paid out on the opportunity in the next 30 days? Will you make a low or a high amount? And then you fill in that dot where appropriate, completely filled in, not an open circle, right? Just a dot. Now, immediately at a glance, we can do that three times. Let's say, for example, I am doing a new program where I'm releasing the, uh, a book for 30 days or for six months. That's a 9.99 kind of that typical funnel thing you see in online education sales. Well, I might be likely to get a very little amount of wealth. So a green is going to a green dot is going to be put into somewhere in quadrant 4. Right? With network, I'm going to get a large amount of network and that's pretty likely. So I'm going to put a red dot up higher uh, in quadrant two and high and likely. And influence, I'll, depending on my, what my content is and how my marketing campaign goes, I'm actually likely to get a higher amount of influence. People are gonna be more aware of me and more willing to listen. So when it comes down to it, my wealth, I'm getting green in quadrant four, likely and low. And in uh, high and likely, I've got a red and a blue dot, respectively. And you can rate this in a uh, one to 10 if it makes it easier for you. But I just like the ballpark at somewhere kind of scatterplot style. Once you've got your first initial three dots, right? I want you to take a look at after 30 days. How likely is it for you to be paid out from the opportunity after the next 30 days, after, after that 30 day period of time, not within? Will you make a, or will you make a lot or will you make a little? Well, go ahead and make an open circle wherever 
it is appropriate for you to put that open circle. For, for example, with the book idea, uh, over long term, my network will actually only get higher or will continue to grow at the same rate, right? So I'm just going to essentially put a red circle around my red dot. Wealth, I think wealth over time I'll make significantly more, and that's likely to happen for a variety of reasons of how those funnels work. So I'll probably put in quadrant two an open circle that's green for wealth. And an influence, uh, similarly, I think it's another circle that you put around uh, the dot. So I've got essentially, as a result, I've got one dot in green that starts in quadrant four, and then I can draw an arrow from that to the open circle in quadrant two. In quadrant two, I also have essentially what looks like two bullseyes, two dots with their respective circles surrounding them. And from that, we can infer a lot of information at a glance without having to do a lot of really high-end statistical analysis. We can understand the scope of the actions we're going to do should we actually do what we are setting out to do, right? We can actually say, okay, this is why, as long as the numbers add up, this is why these 999 book funnels are so attractive, especially if you have additional products that are being sold off of it, right? We can see, okay, I generate a little bit of money to cover the cost of the program at the beginning, and then over time it gets more likely and I get more, and I get more wealth and I get more influence, I get more network, right? And my network and influence just pretty much stays high as long as my content is acceptable and the market finds my content to be of quality. Well, this is really powerful. This is a really strong program out of the start, which is why so many people use it. And based on how the dots are aligned, the, the, the network uh, short-term, long-term, the wealth short-term, long-term, and the influence short-term and long-term, how they're aligned allow you at a glance to understand whether or not that program is good for you or is going to fail. And we have different names for them. For example, a shooting star is where your opportunity starts somewhere, but continues to go towards the northeast side of the paper, right? It goes up and to the right. Uh, it would go from quadrant three, where it's unlikely and low, to high and likely, or to higher and likely. And what it says is it showcases that the longer that the program goes on, the more likely it is for you to get paid and the more amounts you get paid in. We call that a shooting star, right? So the longer that you're able to engage with it, typically it will scale out in a positive way for you. And this is what we want for the majority of programs, so that's not always true. Some programs we engage in that start off maybe likely and low, and the longer that you engage with it, the more high the returns become, but the more unlikely it is for you to get paid out. A lot of programs have this style. Yes, we've got these Hail Mary approaches, and the longer that we engage in the market, the more likely we are for a Hail Mary. But not all the time does it cross between different quadrants. In fact, it's often with what we refer to as the challenger, both because of its difficulty and because the longer uh, it goes on, the likelihood it's just to explode at a slight misstep. It's often this challenger is in a low unlikely place or a high and unlikely place and just becomes more unlikely even though the numbers astronomically keep stacking up. We see this with a lot right now of how people are engaging in the sales of PPE supplies, the protective equipment like Corvid masks and stuff like that, N95s and stuff like that. And we also see that a lot when we talk about you know a lot of the MLM programs, not all of them, and we'll get to those again later, but a lot of those programs examine a market in such a way where you're unlikely to get returns and they sell you up on um, really diving into it and it well you just have to dive in harder and suddenly you'll make more money in fact we make astronomically more money it's that kind of mentality we refer to as a challenger because you're actually unlikely to be successful at it even though the returns keep stacking up and being higher you're actually not likely to ever get those returns so and that's not true for like uh like a Mary Kay or uh, like a Cutco or somebody who's got a quality product, that's somewhere else in, in this uh, analytic. Those are more for the people who are kind of a black hat MLM that you don't expect to ever get returns on, but they sell you on the idea of it. So we've gone through Shooting Star and we've gone through Challenger. The next one is a Comet. A Comet is when the opportunity is crashing to the ground the longer it goes on 
and sacrifices an increased likelihood of success with a lower amount of money. Usually it starts somewhere top left of a quadrant or of all of the quadrants and then start shooting down. Often you'll see things that are unlikely and high and then the longer it's going on, you get to likely but low. It's like the more that you engage in, you sacrifice for being able to get access to returns. It's not attractive, but at least the longer it goes on, the more likely you are to make money. It's, it's more of where people get the idea of a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? This is the kind of example where that kind of motto comes from. The more likely you are to get the money, take the money available, even though your returns, you could go and try to shoot for those higher returns right up the, the front, but you're not likely to, to necessarily succeed at that. This is also a great example of businesses and charities. People have these high, uh, unexpected, uh, unbelievable expectations for how their businesses are going to do, and uh, they're unlikely and high. It's unlikely for them to be profitable as quickly as they believe they're going to be profitable, uh, but the returns are supposed to be really, really high, and then the more things go on, the more they learn about business, the more likely they are to get returns, but they start dialing down and realizing their returns are much lower. So that's the comet. The treadmill is the next one. Usually it starts to the right and goes left, right? Left and down. So it can be a top right and go bottom left, uh, but typically that's the direction it's going. It's going southeast on the, or southwest on the paper, right? So an example is, let's say something is high and likely, you're likely to make money. And then the more that you engage with it, the more unlikely it is and the less money that you make. These treadmills are actually what happens in marketing campaigns when you have a, a product that the customer wants and you give it to them and then they find out that your business practices are unsavory or they find out or, or, or you just stop fulfilling on it properly. You're not able to fulfill on it. This is what happens when anytime somebody is trying to get something from you and you're failing to give it to them the way that they want it. Treadmills happen. This is also where a lot of MLMs uh, start. It starts off with an opportunity that's likely for you to make a lot of initial rent money if you pound the pavement. But the longer it goes on, the more market awareness happens, the less likely it is, and the less money you make. Uh, that this is the treadmill. This is very interesting because this is also if you if you want to take it over to something that's not business and take it over to like relationships, for example. If the longer that you engage with the relationship whether it's a business relationship or otherwise, if your business partners and your friends are all running away from you, so you're losing network, people don't believe in you anymore, you're losing influence, it costs you enormous amounts of money, uh, so you're losing wealth, that's a treadmill relationship. You can use this for a lot of different things. And especially in business, when you're looking at joint venture partners and the way in which you're engaging with somebody and how much less money it makes you or how much it costs you to engage in business with them, you see the treadmill a lot. You see the treadmill most when you have brokers who are really not sure what they're doing. And the last one, which is actually the first one that we ever mentioned here, but is the last one that we're going to mention as well, is bullseyes. Bullseyes are awesome when they're in the top right quadrant, quadrant two, right? If something is high and likely to give you money, you want all of your your actions there to be bullseyes. You want it to be at the tippy top, right? We want something that's gonna short term, make you money in less than 30 days and in the future. It doesn't become a better opportunity because it's just large, uh, large briefcases full of cash straight from the start. This is true about influence, and network as well. If it creates large amounts of influence, large amounts of network, and it kind of sticks there, that's very strong. The only thing that's better than a bullseye, uh, it, or no, I shouldn't say better, but the only thing that's comparable to a bullseye is a shooting star that happens to be in the same quadrant. So if you've got a shooting star that's also in quadrant two, then the more time goes on, it scales to being more likely and uh, higher amounts of returns. So that's very, very strong. Now, the only thing worse than a bullseye is uh, arguably a treadmill because of the amount of time that it takes you to figure out what's going on. A, a challenger can be very, very disastrous and is usually the thing that kills the business because the thing that, that causes the challenger is usually a lack of information. But a bullseye in an unlikely low scenario is very, very dangerous. And the only reason why anybody would stay in there is a lack of awareness to it or an emotional attachment to the situation. But anything that's unlikely to succeed 
or to give you any returns in wealth, the money that you're money and assets that you're getting, network, the the access to people, or your ability to influence them. The only thing that could be considered a worst case scenario is uh, than a bullseye in unlikely and low in quadrant three is something that's just going to take longer for you to realize and look like it's not a bullseye, even though in reality it's probably unlikely and low. So you've got really five different setups for the now or later chart. And you can just pencil in any of the things from the straw analysis, any of the action items from the prismatic system, into the now or later chart and understand at a glance, okay, well, we know exactly what the impact of this is looking like based on all of our findings so far, we're moving in the right direction. Or maybe we need to go and reevaluate our goals because I'm looking at this and I'm seeing a treadmill. That's not a great thing for our business. In fact, you can actually even take this on a very micro scale. If you ever want to see in a business day, how you are inefficiently using your time, just take every action, every action you take in the day. Just write a little sticky note or, or make a note on your computer or whatever it is that you, you do to, to use note taking, right? Or even if it's like a voice memo. And just every time you do something, make a note of it. Anytime somebody gives you a task or you give somebody else a task or you take an action independently and autonomously from everybody else, write it down. At the end of the day, you'll only need to do this once, by the way. You just now or later chart every single one of those actions and what you sacrificed or what you didn't or how successful it is. And I want you to really look at that because once you really are present to the effect of the actions that you're taking at a very, very powerful, minute and high level at the same time, you don't have to be purely 10,000 feet away to see what the actions you're doing look like at scale, you can literally go in and evaluate them at such a minute scale and really get the impact of how you're managing and engaging with your day. If you're somebody who is continuously having trouble writing a book because you, you just aren't diving into it or you, you really want to know everything that you're going to put down or whatever the reason is, right? Whatever the reason is, every time you're doing something else and it's costing you wealth or network or influence rather than you taking the one action that happens to be given you all those things, you can really see the direction that your life is set to go and as such the direction your business is set to go. If you're a larger business, you know, you're you're talking million dollar or more, which is still kind of million to five I still consider to be small business area. But let's say you're you're in that million to five or above area where you've got teams of people that you're managing well, you can do this for your managers. Your managers can do this for your employees or your employees can do this for themselves. And you can really in an instant, in one day, cut out all of the slack that is pulling your business back and holding it back. And right now in a COVID world, right, where we have COVID-19 and little cash flow available, the banks aren't really financing the things that they used to be financing and everybody is overly stressed, all of those things that stand in your way are absolutely taking things from unlikely and annoying to devastating and likely to happen. They're not solved. And most of those are things that hasn't even been present to be solved. So there would be no way to have realized, okay, they can be solved. Straw analysis, right? Second, if your goals are not focused your goals are not dialed down into something that you can utilize in a major, major way, you're going to be swimming around blind in business rather than on a ship that's pointed the direction you need it to go to get you and your entire team to where they need to be post-COVID. And if you haven't looked at the impact of every major money-making decision or product that you're releasing now, and moving into a post-COVID world, well, you actually, I would assert, do not know <laughs> whether or not you're going to be making enough money in the next year to stay in business. You, you will probably have an enormous amount of lack that, that is going to stand in the way of you being successful. I say you, and I, I've been here too, right? Years ago, I was, I was in the, a very similar place where I wasn't being very present with my now or later charts, right? I wasn't viewing 
everything that I was I was doing. You can even take it to a, such a minute level as which blanket do I buy? Well, this blanket's going to provide me a large amount of uh, support and comfort over a period of time. It's a, a high quality product, and it's highly likely to provide me comfort and support, and it's uh, likely to, to be there. Uh, if it's something that's kind of a, a product that I'm buying just because I need something to fill the slot to check the box, it's unlikely to provide me a very high level of satisfaction. It's very unlikely. And um, so it ends up in the likely and low quadrant. And it only as time happens and it deteriorates because it's not a high-end product, it's a treadmill, right? It's going to become more unlikely and I'll, I'll get lower returns from it. It'll feel less comfortable like a shoddy pillow or, you know, betting is a great way to always look at this stuff in a micro scale. In a macro scale, we can look at it in business. Did you decide that you're going to open up a new product specifically like a membership program for, for people to pre-purchase goods from your business during COVID? A lot of businesses have done this, right? A lot of businesses have really push their loyalty programs, card-based programs, things where people can buy food later now or some sort of monthly thing so that coming out of it, they'll have access to a supreme amount of services. These are all really great ideas. And if you're doing things like that and you haven't looked at them in now or later charts, I encourage you to do so because you'll find that some of these ideas that people are shopping around not based off of what customers have directly asked for don't make the kind of money that you want them to. They're guesstimates. And sometimes they're successful and sometimes they're not. But inside of a crisis, this is not the time to be making decisions willy-nilly. If you've got a really good gut instinct, go for your, your gut instinct. If that's the way that you've historically always run business, that might work for you. If you want three business techniques that will absolutely save your business, get you pointed the right direction, and frankly, you really won't need anything else if you just do these three things right now, go to accessprinciple.capital, check out our blog. It's called Pivoting for Survival, COVID-19 Business Techniques. Read through it, do it. If you have any questions, I am the CEO of Access Principle. You can actually email myself or the president. Roussel Platado is the, the president, Roussel at accessprinciple.capital. Or if you want to go straight to me, Ryan at accessprinciple.capital, right? It's not very difficult to reach out to me and reach out to us, post comments on our blog, or even on any of the uh, places where this is going to be distributed to, iTunes, um, Spotify. This is a really deep dive, right? I think this is the first time that we've used We All Succeed to really teach some very, very important business tactics, and I think that now is the important time for that. So go ahead dive in. If there's any questions, please reach out. We want your business to be very successful and as successful as possible. Thank you for another episode of We All Succeed.